filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster So we tried this before, um, but I guess yeah, my peek behind the curtain. This is the second time we're recording this. Yeah, at least this uh, this opening. My my advice is going to stay the same though, uh, and it's that uh, if you were to follow a sports team and that team were to maybe maybe not uh, win uh, a championship for a long time, and you know, like like a uh, like an entire lifetime's worth of of time, not just a few years here and there. Um, if they do happen to win, it's, uh, it's a pretty cool thing. And, and, uh, you should probably go to the parade that they're having. Um, if they, if they have a parade, you should go to it. Um, even if you get there late and you can't really get a good view of anything, um, it's still a pretty cool thing to get to go do in the middle of a day. It's certainly better than work and, uh, the, the vacation time or sick time or whatever that you're going to have to cough up to get there is more than worth giving up. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's a pretty it's a pretty nice thing if that happens to you and and your sports team, whoever that team might be. Uh, personally, I was un- unable to go to this hypothetical uh, parade of champions down Constitution Avenue uh, today, if it, if it happened, um, not because of sick time or vacation or anything, just because there was stuff at work that had to be done or would have had to be done in this hypothetical situation. Um, but I can tell you that I, I do recommend when your team is playing for a, a major championship, it's first in a long time, or even if it's not, it's first in a long time going to a public gathering of thousands of people to watch that game on the off chance that, that your team actually overcomes decades of futility and, and wins um, in the, the clinching game. It, it's a lot of fun too to just be in a crowd of people all living in the moment and being incredibly happy about exactly the same thing. Um, it, it's, it's an awesome experience. Uh, and, and I recommend that say, you know, on a Thursday night in Chinatown, just, just to throw out a, for instance. Yeah, that's a place and a time you could be at. <laughs> hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Um, we do talk about soccer. We also talk about hypothetical Stanley Cup champions who may or may not reside in this city. I'm Adam Taylor, joined by Jason Anderson. Ben Bromley is buffering, I guess you could say. He's he's having some technical issues. He's, uh, I'm pretty sure, using a fire extinguisher on his computer right now. Um, he will join us if and when his computer decides to cooperate tonight we uh we're talking about dc united's two to one loss up in the pacific northwest to the seattle sounders we're previewing their game on wednesday night which is hopefully the day this podcast will come out if it comes out after wednesday then we are um i promise we're recording this before the game um but they're going to toronto to face tfc the defending champions and treble holders um we can talk later about treble versus triple versus whatever, if we want to, I guess. 
that game is Wednesday night, uh, 8 p.m. Watch it on News Channel 8 or wherever DC United games are shown. Uh, before we do anything, though, Jason, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, I kept it uh, very straightforward. I have uh, Suerte Blanco uh, with a single ice cube, which I find for this particular, a lot of tequilas, I don't think adding, uh, it's not like a, a bourbon situation where water can kind of open it up. But this particular tequila, it, that is the case. Um, not much. You want a very small amount. So one single ice cube is enough. And I have the, my refrigerator makes those like little half-sized cubes um, or like the cubes that used to, even if you had like ice cube trays, these are smaller than those. I don't really, they're a weird shape. I don't know what else to say about them, but uh, only one of those size cubes. So if you've got like a bigger ice cube, that's too much. Um, no, it's good. It's, it's got a nice... Um, herbal quality to it that uh, is a little hard to find in a lot of tequilas. So it's a gin like herbal or not, not the herbs of gin, um, but herbal in the sense that uh, maybe in, you know, the next town over from uh, the herbs of gin. (laughs) Um, But uh, it's, it's, you know, there's a little grassiness to it. Um, But uh, yeah, it's, it's a very agreeable thing to sip on. Uh, I, I asked about the herbal gins because last week I, I threw it out to the listeners to hit me up with their their herbal gin recommendations. And a couple people came through. One in particular, uh, listener Trevor, who who also happens to be a good friend of mine from before we ever had a podcast, uh, hooked me up with an actual bottle of, of gin. It's uh, Spanish gin, Mahon um, or Mahon, M-A-H-O-N. Um, and it's a, I, I had said last week that with my Rickies, I, I really prefer a more herbal forward gin. And this is certainly that. I have no limes tonight, though. So I, I'm drinking a Tom Collins, which is a, a relative of the Ricky. Instead of lime, it's lemon and sugar with the, the gin and seltzer water. Um, and I don't know, it, it, it's very good. It's a very kind of punchy uh, herbal gin and i i'm really looking forward to trying it in a a ricky i just think maybe i i, I lean the other way on tom collins's maybe the the lemon needs something a little cleaner so next time i make a tom collins i'll probably go with a a drier you know more traditional english gin which is funny to me since last week i was saying exactly the opposite about <laughs> a, a drink that's very similar uh to this one but i don't know taste buds are weird man uh, we don't know what Ben's drinking because, again, he's fighting a dragon right now. Um, so, so we're going to assume he's, you know, I don't know. What do you drink when you fight a dragon, Jason? Uh, I, I, should, I, I guess the thing is, it's what does Ben drink when he fights a dragon? Um, and I'm going to guess it's just uh, like bourbon straight. Um, this is more of a like I need something very quick. This is a, a time a time sensitive thing, so it's about uh, how can I get some alcohol in my system without taking a lot of time. So I think he's just going with a whatever bourbon is closest. That's that's probably right, but I'm I'm gonna say he's drinking port wine. I don't know why. Okay, but port wine feels like something he would just happen to grab because i feel like when you're fighting a dragon you're going to go with something obscure for the times and port's not that obscure but it's definitely something that 
uh, is more of a bygone era. And I, I feel it's like not, just poor. also it wouldn't it wouldn't catch fire as easily as as higher proof spirits. When you're fighting a I mean, dragon that that might if be you've important. got time to think about your dragon fight, then you might uh, take the time to think I shouldn't grab something that might set on fire. <laughs> um, but a lot of times dragon fights, you, you don't really have that much time to plan for them. That's, That's... In, in my experience. The dragons you fought, you did not have time to prep for. You were purely reaction. It's just like, oh, there's a dragon. And then, you know, you're off to the races. Um, So you did not go seeking the dragon. No, no, no. It's it's more like you've stumbled across the dragon. um, And uh, now you just got to find find your way to survival. Um, It's not it's not ideal. You don't want it to go that way. But, you know, that's that's where you are. So we assume Ben has been attacked by a dragon and wasn't like some misguided knight out searching for the dragon to slay. Uh, yeah, I think I feel like Ben has enough on his plate where he's not uh, also yeah. setting aside time to go dragon hunting. Um, that's that's but, a good point. Although he is he is an archivist, and if anyone's going to go looking for a dragon, for some reason, archivist feels like the kind of job that would say, you know what, I'm going to go in here. But maybe he just, you know, he was tracking down some old scrolls and, and happened upon a dragon. So maybe this situation where he like read the scroll aloud and the dragon materialized. Um, and yeah, let's go with that. Surprise. Okay. Yeah, let's go with that. He, he summoned the dragon and the dragon unleashed the fury. Hey, look at caps reference. Let's talk about DC United. The points were there to be had on Saturday. United had a second half lead in Seattle for the second straight year. And for the second straight year, they came out with nothing. Uh, Darren Maddox had a putback goal for the opener. Um, that was canceled out by Nico Ladero's 22-yard volley and Magnus Wolf Eichren's uh, free header to win it. Ike Rem. Ike Rem. I can't yes. read my own handwriting. There's definitely an M there, not an N. Uh I do want to say, though, if you're going to lose being beaten by a guy whose name is Magnus Wolf, anything is it does make it feel a little bit better. Ever so slightly better. No. No. (laughs) I just love the name. It's it's super Scandinavian and like very Viking. And I enjoy that. So let's talk about the actual game. Um, what happened on the the two goals? Um, we'll, we'll we'll get in the overall picture as well, which which I think is better than maybe it it seemed at first. But let, let's talk about that that first goal. Uh, long throw in from Seattle, uh, flicked on I think by Yamil Assad trying to clear it out. Ends up just yeah. sitting up perfectly for Nico Ladero at the the top of the D, and he just lashes it back with that left foot of his. And I, that was it. That was the goal. Yeah, um, you know, it's. I mean, we've talked on this show a bunch of times about my opinion on giving up a goal from a throw in. So that side is bad, regardless of um, the process involved. It's just you shouldn't concede from a throw in of any kind. Um, now, that being said, um, I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with Assad's um, clearance. You know, he's at the near post. He beats the crowd to the ball. He puts it up and away from the immediate danger, which is the 
Will Bruin, I think it was, um, making that uh, run and attempt to head the ball on to the back post. Um, so as far as Assad's doing, he's just doing what he can given, you know, given the circumstances. Um, it's really the fact that, you know, he, he heads the ball out um, and maybe it's on a, I'm not going to say it's a perfect header away because it's not, it's, it's high, but it's not away from the middle. It's, it's back into the middle, which I think, you know, given where the ball was, I don't know that he could have done a whole lot more because he's not the tallest player in the world. Um, it's not a perfect header, but it's it's good enough. It's good enough where DC should be able to get out of trouble from there. Um, the problem is that no one from the team goes to confront top of the box. There's no one in that area. Um, and it's not like Assad's header out there was a bullet header that flew out there very quickly. It, it went up. It had a, a nice arc to it and came down. Um, and no one reacted to the fact that it was Nico Lodero standing there, the best player on either team, um, standing there by himself, ready to go. Um, and looking at this thing and saying like, I wonder, you know, how many times have I had a ball float down to me in my career, uh, my, in my life, not even career, but my life as a soccer player where I've, um, struck a a ball on the volley like this. And it's probably well into the thousands. Um, and he has all the time in the world to think about all that but no one is stepping out to confront him. And first of all, someone should probably have been in that space to begin with. Um, When you're defending a long throw and it's not, you don't have as many people to defend as you do on a corner kick. Um, No one was in that area of the field, first of all. And then second, no one reacts when the ball's in the air um, and gets out because if someone's, if someone's there to start, he can't hit the volley. And if someone's rushing out, he can't hit the volley so cleanly and there's a much higher chance of it hitting somebody on the way in and not getting into the goal. Um, So for me, it's more of, I don't count this as a set piece defense failure, but it's kind of the same idea where, you know, at some part of this structure in terms of set piece defending, either no one was told on long throw-ins to go out to that space or someone didn't do their job. Um, But either way, you end up with the best player on the other team getting a volley that they're perfectly capable of striking. You, you know, you're running the risk of one of those going in the corner and that's exactly what happened. And that goal broke, I think Seattle's franchise's second longest ever goalless drought. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was, it was like many a minutes. Second, they were 20 seconds away from setting a new record of going goalless, um, which is a reason why I think a lot of, a lot of the reaction from, I was a little surprised from DC fans reacting with such frustration to this particular game because this was def- I've seen Seattle play six or seven times this year. This was easily the best they've that I've seen out of them. Um, and it wasn't like um, to use a contrast where we've also seen Philly have one of their best games against DC. That was a situation where DC was doing everything they could to help Philly along their way and, and help them have the best game they could. Um, I thought United played fairly well. Um, Seattle just also played fairly well. They got Lodero back. Um, they got Victor Rodriguez back and all of a sudden they weren't starting a rookie and a fullback as their wingers. All of a sudden they had real MLS players, uh, playing in the attacking positions. And all of a sudden, um, with Lodero at the center of things, that's a much, much different team. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think of a direct comparison for United. If you could take a player out of the lineup um, 
I don't know if you necessarily have one on this team that makes as much of a difference to our midfield as Lodero does to Seattle's. He really is their best player. Um, and this, uh, you know, him coming back for this game is an unfortunate bit of timing because uh, Uruguay's coach opted not to take him to the World Cup and he came back and maybe he came back with a chip on his shoulder on top of it. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, I, if this were last week's Seattle team, if this was the lineup that went out against RSL and took zero shots on goal and DC gave up two, I would be just as mad as a lot of the other people. But the quality of play and also just the quality of players that Seattle put on the field. Um, this is the first time that they've had this many good players in their lineup in forever. And it showed um, sometimes it's as simple as uh, simple as that. And, and, you know, Lodero's position was also kind of a surprise. It was a open question as to whether he would play central midfield or if he would play on, out on the right where he plays, um, he drifts inside from the right a lot. Um and United, it's not like United had a game or two to scout um, what they would do with him coming back. It was, you know, he's back and we're not going to tell you where he's going to play and you're just going to have to figure it out when the lineups come out. Um, and so some of it was they played the they played the Sounders at the wrong time. Um, if Seattle played like this, they would not be sitting on, what, 11 points or whatever it is that they've got for the season. Um, they would be much closer to like 20, 21, 22. So... Um, it was, I guess that kind of reflects my overall opinion of the game is that it, this looked like two teams that are mid table rather than two teams that were at the bottom. Um, I've seen some of the bad teams in this league play. I've seen Montreal and Colorado play more times than I should have watched. Um, and I can tell you that there's a big difference between Seattle and DC and the Montreal's and Colorado's of the world. That's not to tell you that DC played really well and was, was desperately unlucky or anything, but, um, there are games where you, it's obvious that it was really bad and it's it's reasonable to be mad. I think this is one of those games where with uh, a little bit of luck and, and maybe one less lapse, we're talking more about a, a decent result on the road. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that second lapse in a minute. Yeah. I do want to dig down on the this actually being a decent performance, though. Um, outside of the possession battle, which Seattle bossed, um, it was pretty even. Partially, and... and Seattle had more of the possession in part because DC set up to play on the counter. They didn't really yep. press too high in this game. Um, I think partially to conserve their legs a little bit, given the nature of playing midweek and then having a game in Toronto tomorrow. Um, you don't necessarily, you know, if you try and high press, you can go for it, but eventually it pays off in the fact that that third game, you just have nothing left in the tank. Um, right. And expected goals is by no means the be all end all. Um, and uh, American soccer analysis has a couple different flavors of expected goals for each game. Uh, one of them discounts rebounds shots off of rebounds essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and by either metric DC United was, was somewhat ahead it, mm-hmm. at the very least sh- should have had a draw in this game. Otherwise, you know, even an outright win they had, they, they beat them on both expected goals metrics, um, which is, you know, it, it's not that much comfort coming after right. a loss, but it it shows that this was not a, a hapless performance. It yeah. was it was a decent showing that was undone by a couple of lapses, um, including one on a, a counterattack by Seattle. Um, yeah. DC United, I think they were up for a corner. Um, 
service goes straight to Stefan Fry, Seattle's yeah. goalkeeper, who who throws it out, and Seattle gets out not on a not on a traditional like lightning kind of counter, but they move up the field quickly but methodically, um, get a lot of numbers forward, and then get the ball wide to to send it in. and And we were watching this before we recorded the show. Um, they they basically had four on four in the box and and had the their players lined up almost like wide receivers trips left um and and ran a route that that freed up uh Magnus Wolf Ikram right in front of goal for a free header yeah and it it goes as far back as the service from the corner um it's not a good corner um it's easy for Fry to catch it's not no one had a chance at it from DC at all um and then on top of that, the guys in the box, I mean, one of the things you do when you're structuring a set piece is you want to make sure that you don't get caught out if things go wrong. Um, and in this case, Fry catches the ball and no one is obstructing him from throwing out quickly. There's no, there's nothing stalling him at all. So he can get the ball out immediately. And then all of a sudden it's everyone's running. Um, there's no organization. It's just everyone has to run as fast as they can to the other side of the field. Um, and United never really got themselves, they got themselves into their positions, but they never got settled in. There was def- definitely a, a frantic look, um, throughout their team shape, uh, from the moment this ball got tossed out of the box and it comes down, you know, to Christian Roldan getting the ball and, um, no one is, uh, available. I think Yamil Assad had been at left midfield, but was, he had taken the corner. So he had the longest, uh, to run. Um, no one from the middle shuttled out to confront Roldan. Uh, Joseph Mora ends up having to come out of left back to try and obstruct the cross a little bit, but it's late because the structure is so bad that, you know, Mora's busy thinking, oh, I've got to mark someone in the box. And all of a sudden it's like, well, no, I've got to go out and run after this cross. So then Mora leaves. Burnbaum has to shift over to Mora's mark. Uh, Junior Moreno recognized how badly this was going and tried to get in position in time. And, um, Adam, we were talking off air. You pointed out that if, if he were an inch or two taller, maybe he gets ahead onto this cross. And we, uh, were talking about a one, one instead. Um, but he's not that tall. Um, and so his jump doesn't quite interfere. Um, Frederick Briant ends up having to deal with, um, the run from, uh, Will Bruin and you get, Wolf Ikram between Briant and O'Neill Fisher, who's also having to mark some, you know, Fisher's got a back post mark. I think, um, I'm not, I want to say that was, um, was it new who running out there? It, it could have been, uh, that's something that he would definitely do. Yeah. Um, but, uh, in any case, you know, Fisher ends up with a back post mark. So he's, he has two men to mark basically. Right, he, he ends up in a moment where he has to choose one or the other, um, and it's on the fly and the ball's in the air while he's having to make that decision. So it's not, it never ends well when you're in that kind of spot. Um, but yeah, the whole, you know, it looks bad for the back four whenever you see Wolf Ikram that open for a header at that range. Um, but the breakdown really happens in front of them and they are just left with too much to do. It's too many men to have to mark. It's too many moving pieces to have to cope with. Um, and it's an uncontested cross on top of that. So, um, it's one where the midfield really let the defense down and it comes back to when we talk about this team being bad defensively, it's not, well then get new defenders Um, at some positions, as we talked about so much last week that, yeah, you know, left back is clearly a problem for this team. Um, 
But in other ways, it's just the group collectively doesn't do enough to defend. And, and part of that is coaching. Anytime you've got a team that structurally struggles to defend on a regular basis, you've got to wonder about the ability to coach defensive uh, tactics um, with any team. And that's definitely something that is is on my mind with this team is they're not well drilled enough defensively as a group. But the other thing is, you know, you've got individual players not recognizing something. Um if the other team counters and they're coming down the field at that speed and Assad is the corner taker and he's going to be the last man back the rest of the midfield and maybe even Maddox, someone in there, someone in that front six group has to recognize that there's no left midfielder. Someone has to come out there and fill in Assad's place for the time being. Um, and if it's a central player, then maybe Maddox has to drop back. Um, maybe you just play with a four, a midfield four for a moment. Um, but someone has to adjust in a way other than, leaving rolled on to have the time to cross because then you end up with your defenders having to do that work for you and they're in a worse position to do it. And they also have bigger things on their, their plate. Um, and that's where the goal comes from. It's uh, it's just a messy bit of organization and the team just was not, um, you know, Seattle deserves their credit for moving the ball quickly enough where they get rolled on open and making the runs where they get players in a position where they can take advantage of that. You know, sometimes you have to sense the moment with your opponent um, and they, and they sense that this was a moment that DC was in trouble. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's frustrating because I think overall this was a game that DC put enough into where they should have gotten something out of it. You know, if they come back one, one, I think everyone involved would have probably agreed it was fair. I know some of the guys um from Sounder at heart, maybe felt like Seattle had been knocking on the door all game. I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that. Um, I thought the game was pretty well balanced possession. Um, notwithstanding, I mean, we've we're past the point, I think, in time where we get fooled by a possession stat only. Um, and I thought, One this game D- yeah, and, and DC set up to play on the counter, so of course, they're going to end up with you know 45% or less. Um, I think they ended up with 43. So, mm-hmm. you know, so be it. Um, but yeah, uh, if you defend well enough in moments like that, you can come out of these games with points um, against LAFC. They didn't have this sort of mistake happening over and over, and they came out of the game with a point. They went to San Jose and they didn't make a bunch of mistakes. They came out of that game with a win. Um, it, it would be, in a way, I think it would make it easier for all of us if it were just like the same kind of thing happening over and over but every week it's a little bit different. It's, you know, an individual player gives the ball away or goes out of position. And this week it's the team didn't respond quickly enough to missing a player out of the midfield after a counterattack from a set piece. Um, but it's always, and a I think it, it should be said that that's the game Seattle wants to play to not necessarily the full field counter because mm-hmm. they old, but you know, Dempsey is at his best when the game is chaotic and he's just kind of reacting and, trying ish and and the rest of seattle works in a similar way where when you're running towards your own goal even if they don't have the ball in a super dangerous position that's when they are at their their most dangerous i guess um and and united didn't didn't deal with it um and and so no points is is what they have to show for it darren maddox though just keeps scoring goals three straight now with with goals for him he's on six for the season one short of his career season high or uh, i think that's right uh his best season as a goal scorer was his rookie year where he scored seven and he's up he's at six now um 
a third of the way through the season. Not bad for him. Um, Jason, what's what's the Jamaican doing right up top? Uh, it's his ability to get into dangerous positions on a regular basis. Um, he's been good off the ball. Um, he's extremely fast, which makes it easy to be good off the ball because you don't have to be, you don't have to recognize the danger so early because you can get there in less time. Um, you can also catch people off guard because they're thinking, oh, I've got, you know, I've got some time to get to that spot. And all of a sudden you're just running past them. And what do you do at that point as a defender? You're screwed. Um, and it is a quantity over quality thing with Maddox, but it's kind of a quantity over quality thing for everyone. If you go and talk to um, some data analysts about the game, there's some distinct skepticism about the very concept of finishing. Um, And it's just like basically the best players get into better positions and get more scoring chances. Um, Now, I don't know if I subscribe to that wholeheartedly, but um, I think it's fair to say we know that Maddox isn't the most clinical finisher in the world. And yet his, he's meeting um, his expected goals are almost dead on uh, what you would expect. If you just, if you didn't look at the outcomes and only looked at what he had done, um, up to that point, uh, before shooting, you would have expected him to score about like six and a fraction and he has six. Right. It um, is worth noting that, that expected goals don't capture him tripping over the grass or, or not yes. quite getting to a header. Um, there is something it's, it Maddox is weird because he's, he's like meeting those expectations, but he's also got, um, you know, the, the tripping over the ball, uh, for example, there's not even a shot from that. So that's not exactly. even on the the thing and he's got a missed penalty kick and he's missed some sitters but he's also scored some unlikely goals to make up for it um and so he kind of catches up to his expected goals by throwing in a few difficult goals here and there um which maybe is if you're looking for regression that's probably where it would come from um but overall he's he's getting himself into dangerous positions all the time and that's what's good about him and it's also when he doesn't have a good game it's what's frustrating about him is that um, you know that if Maddox is on the field, you're going to get good looks at goal. Um, and if he doesn't have a bad, or if he has a bad game, it's usually that he just didn't finish them and you pull your hair out because it's, it's emotionally, it's very tough to see a good scoring chance get wasted. But in the long run, you want a forward who's getting those good scoring chances. If you've got a guy who's just never getting into scoring uh, position, like, uh, say for example, DC's other strikers, um, then you've got a real problem because then you're never going to get any goals. Um, it's much better to have the guy that is hit or miss in front of goal, but is getting three or four looks a game than the guy who maybe gets one look every two weeks. Um, you don't, you don't want to be in that shoe, those shoes. Right. Uh, Harrison Crow, who writes for uh, American soccer analysis. Uh, he's on Twitter at Harrison underscore Crow. He, he put up a, a little exercise this afternoon where he he put the stat lines for three different MLS strikers up and then asked which one of these is Darren Maddox and they're all pretty similar they have they have some slight variations as far as their their goal scoring rate their assist rate how many shots they take Um, but his point is that he said which one of these is Darren Maddox the point is if you can't tell the difference in the underlying stats between Jassy Zardes Darren Maddox and Nemanja Nikolic it doesn't really matter they're all pretty good um Darren Maddox has been better than expected, I think, this year, which is not to say he hasn't left goals on the table, but um, it, it is nice to see him, you know, 
see one yeah. person taking that position and making it theirs. Uh, in because honesty, Patrick Mullins and Dan Kelly have not. Right. And in all honesty, I think Maddox has been the best player on the team up to this point. Um, if you had to give it a team MVP award for um, 11 games, I would say you have to give it to him. Um, and that's not what I expected to say coming in. And I, I think my my expectations were 11 or 12 goals in the season. So I was kind of on the high end of, you know, I, I saw plenty of people who were like, well, if he scores seven or eight, it'll be pretty good. Um, and, and, you know, the low end was like, he's not going to do anything. It's going to be terrible. Um, so I had fairly high expectations and he's still on course right now to exceed them. Now things are going to change. Obviously DC's close to signing Wayne Rooney as, as keeps being reported. So that might change. Um, though I've got to say, I'm kind of thinking that if, if you add Wayne Rooney to this lineup, you kind of want to keep Darren Maddox in kind of the same role that he's already playing compared to the rest of the midfield. Um, but that gets into some stuff that I, I plan on writing about um, that, uh, you know, Maddox is doing everything he can to keep himself a factor. Um, and I also wonder if you yank him out of the lineup, um, if you just say, well, now Rooney's here or now whoever's here. Um, so sit the bench. Is he going to be the same player or is that going to throw him off enough? Because it's um, confidence is this tricky thing with strikers. And we've seen it with Mullins more than anyone else. Um if you yank him, if you reduce uh, his ability to believe in himself, if you give him a reason to think that um, that he's not as trusted anymore, are you getting the same player? Um, so it's to Maddox's credit that I'm not 100% sure that he is the guy that loses his spot. Whereas a month ago or whenever the Rooney rumors first came out, I was like, okay, fine. You know, that's how it's going to go. Maddox will be a super sub and that's that. But um if you had to make that decision today, I'm not sure that that uh that would be the way to go. I think you might have to look at um or you know if 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 um if you're Ben Olsen, you have to consider the possibility of one of the attacking midfielders making way. Um and maybe, maybe even a formation even, shift. Right, I, you know, maybe something like a you know, as much as it's unfashionable, a 442. Um you know, because Maddox is playing well enough where it's hard to say this guy has to sit. Um, it would be, I mean, in an ideal world, he stays at this level and becomes a super sub. And now you're getting him uh, coming into games for the final 30 minutes and terrorizing people, but who knows? Um, but he's been great uh, in terms of our expectations for, for what we thought we were getting. Um, I really don't think I have any complaints um, as much as it's a roller coaster with him. It's been um, mostly pretty good altogether. If you take a step back from the aggravating moments and look at the whole picture, it's actually been pretty good for him. Now I'm thinking about, you know, four, four, two diamonds for four triple twos, uh, the, the old empty bucket, different ways to, to fit both Rooney and Maddox on the field together. And it, it is made a little easier by Paul Ariola colon central midfielder. Um, so That'll be fun to think about. Maybe we can, I don't know, maybe we can find some other way to incorporate that discussion into the podcast because right now we have to move on. Um, Toronto FC coming midweek, we'll, we'll handle this pretty quickly because we have to bring in our guest to to preview that game. But before we do, I want to talk about potential changes to the lineup. Ben Olsen indicated that there would be some uh, squad rotation 
for this. And I think the energy level at the end of the game in Seattle uh, definitely warrants some squad rotation there. There was, they looked a little fatigued out there at the end of the game, which, you know, flying across the country and playing on turf in the rain will do that to you. Um, Specifically, Ben Olsen mentioned that Chris Durkin uh, had the night off because they're going to need him fresh in Toronto. And Jason, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on that. I would have thought that, that Durkin would get the start in Seattle and Moreno would have gotten the start in Toronto against the likes of uh, Victor Vasquez and uh, Sebastian Jovinko. But I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Um, I think once, you know, once Olsen made his mind up to play, uh, Durkin against North Carolina FC, it kind of, um, especially it being a position where he has two good options. Um, Junior Moreno has largely been pretty good since his Rocky first four or five games. Um, So you've got two choices where where you can add fresh legs to the lineup without having the drop in quality, which is a thing that um, he's got to deal with at some other positions because it's not so straightforward at some of these other spots. Um, You know, the we just talked a lot about Darren Maddox, but um, he played 35 minutes against North uh, North Carolina. He played the full 90 on turf in Seattle. Is he going to be able on on a? Well, I guess it's technically four days uh, between games, so th- three days rest. Is he going to have more than an hour in his legs um, against TFC? Probably not. Um, and so you start to think, well, is he even going to have half? Uh, a half in his legs. Um, and if the answer to that is no, and he has to come off the bench, then this game starts to feel like a lost cause because so far, like we said, uh, Mullins and Kelly haven't given us any reason to feel confident in their ability to play up front. Um, so that's the the spot that concerns me the most is up front where it's just, it's the opposite problem where we've got one good player and there's not somebody, you know, pushing really hard to get more minutes. So there's, um, making that rotation is not an easy choice. And, and in Olsen's shoes, I imagine he's looking for what spots can he rotate at without sacrificing quality. Um, and defensive midfield is definitely one. Um, I think Bruno Miranda is maybe not as good as some of the other guys in the midfield, but he's not such a drop off where it's going to be a big problem to, to cycle him in for someone, whether it's, um, I mean, maybe it's Assad since he played the full 120 in the Open Cup and then the full 90 in Seattle. Um, maybe this gets back to um, not that this is our exact topic, but um, Olsen only making one sub in this game is definitely puzzling. Um, yeah, I think not just for not just thinking about the TFC game, but also I think, you know, we noticed it, you know, as a site, we noticed it. A bunch of us talking about the game were watching it and we noticed it a lot of people who comment on the site noticed it a lot of random people who don't follow the team that closely, but happen to be watching that game, they commented on it. This team got about 70 minutes in the game and then ran out of gas. Um, and they needed some fresh legs and Olsen just didn't make a sub. Um, and I can see the argument of things were going more or less as planned. And Olsen at halftime sounded fairly pleased with how things were going. Um, but at a certain point, you've got to realize that your team is too tired to let that go on. You know, it, things are going fine. Let's not rock the boat. 
only works if there's not a glaring problem. And when you're that tired on the road, it's a glaring problem. Um, and I feel like, you know, we got, it was one sub and it came in the 86th minute. And I think it was just, it wasn't the best uh, case of game management we're ever going to see, because if you add some fresh legs at the 70, 75th minute, you know, maybe at 70th minute, you realize, okay, there's sunk. There's, there's nothing left in their, their legs. Um, you have five minutes to get a sub ready to go. You've got to give him his instructions, all that stuff. Fine. So be it. Um, I get that these things aren't as instantaneous as they are in a video game, but um, yeah, something needed to be done. Something needed to be done to recognize the situation that was going on and, and also to prefer, preserve um, the starters for this game against TFC who are starting to look like they're figuring things out and are starting to get healthier. So that's not, um, it's not the best team to go on the road and have a heavily rotated lineup, but it might be kind of, there might not be a choice. Yeah. And uh, worth mentioning that that is uh, United's own doing to an extent. We, you said earlier that this is the wrong time to have played Seattle. It just worked out that way. And it's, it looks like the wrong time to be playing Toronto as well. This match rescheduled from earlier in the year when, United uh, agreed to reschedule the game to allow Toronto to not play the Champions League, I think, semifinal at the time on mm-hmm. short rest. And and now DC United playing this game on short rest. Toronto also playing on short rest, though I think they played a, a day earlier. They, they played on Friday, I think. Um, yeah, and and they right. seem to be rounding into form. Uh, also, they aren't flying from the West Coast for this one. It just, it, it ends up, you know, United um, kind of not doing themselves any favors by agreeing to that switch. Although it did let give United an extra week to prep for the Columbus crew, a game that they won uh, at the time. So it's, you know, it's. It, it cuts both ways. And it's one of those exactly. things where it's hard to know how it would have gone otherwise. Um, yes. But there's a counterfactual said, here that we don't have. Exactly. Um, it does feel like I definitely understand what people are, are saying, though, because it does feel like United did TFC a solid to their own detriment. And now we're about to pay for it. Um, but, we'll, you know, we'll see. Last year's team was garbage and managed to go to Toronto and get a draw um, against a better version of TFC. So, you know, maybe they can you know, this is a definitely a better D.C. team than last year's. And maybe they can. um pull it together. I know Toronto's had so many injuries lately that they might have to rotate just to protect um, guys that have just returned from getting, uh, you know, having a relapse injuries, sort of like Junior Moreno did when he came back. Um, so TFC might be in a position where they've got to cycle as many players out as DC, even though they've got that extra day's rest. Um, you know, we'll, we'll find out when the lineups come out tomorrow, but um, you know, what are you going to do? Um, I, I assume the league, applied pretty heavy pressure to DC to uh, to change because it was something where the league benefits when a team does well in the Champions League. And, um, you know, at a certain point, uh, that's a lot of pressure to have to deal with. And, and maybe it's just for the best. Uh, and, you know, like you said, um, that Columbus game, I think they needed that extra week to prepare. Um, I think they benefited from that week off at the time. So, um I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm interested to see what both teams do because, um, you know, I, I with that extra day's rest, maybe Olsen can get away with um, Maddox starting and maybe playing an hour, and maybe he gets away with uh, Ariola or Stieber, um, 
playing from the start. I don't expect Assad to start um, just based on the fact that he's played every minute of those two games over the last week. But, right. um, you know, we'll see. Someone like, you know, Ian Harks might get in. We might see Ariola play on the wing instead um, for, for at least a chunk of the game. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting situation because it's also – it's not like United has a bunch of healthy guys um, that didn't make the trip. They had 20 players to choose from to face Seattle. Um, the only players they didn't take with them were Travis Wara and Dane Kelly, who were playing for Richmond. Um, so it's not like you have a ton of of options to rotate in. So um, I don't think we're going to see Jared Jeffrey, but I do think we're going to see guys like Miranda um, and probably Harks. And we're probably also going to find ourselves wishing that United had one more fullback because we probably could use some fresh legs uh, there because Fisher played it's 210 minutes between those two games. Um, Joseph Mora played uh, 206 of the 210 Mm -hmm. minutes. So um, it's going to be roughest there. And I I figure that might force Olsen into more of a um, sit deep and, and play on the counter approach again, because it's hard to play high press soccer if your fullbacks can't join in. And you can't ask guys on on with that level of tiredness to keep, you know, jumping into the attack. Eventually you pay for that. So um, this might be a game where United sitting deep and absorbing a lot of pressure, which doesn't sound alluring. But then against TFC, there aren't too many outcomes that there are too many uh, strategies that seem like, oh, that'll work. Um, right. A lot of them seem like, oh, that's that's going to be a problem against TFC. So um, yeah, on the on the fullback front, um, I, I know a lot of people are wishing for another fullback just just in general when three-fifths of your fullback core are out injured for um significant durations it's it you're just stuck with where you are that yeah there's not a lot of teams that could handle having that level of injury focused on one position especially one as vital to the modern game as the fullback is uh we got to get out of here uh bring in duncan fletcher to to help us preview the Toronto game. We'll ask him some of these questions about Toronto in the next segment, I'm sure. Please stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. 
Welcome back to Filibuster. We are bald and yelly like Matthew McConaughey in Reign of Fire. Um, <laughs> during the break, we had an extensive conversation about men jumping in movies in ways that don't make sense with physics. Um, I don't have a good segue into the topic, the actual topic of, of this segment. So I'll just jump right into it. DC United flew straight from Seattle to Lake Erie after uh, the loss in the Pacific Northwest. They have a midweek date with the defending best team ever. They'll visit Toronto FC Wednesday night at 8. Watch it on News Channel 8 or your local Sinclair affiliate. If you're outside of uh, the local DC area, watch it on ESPN Plus if you subscribe to that. Duncan Fletcher talks on the Vocal Minority podcast, and he's a a, a regular guest with us here, and uh, he's here to help us preview this game. Duncan, welcome back to Filibuster. Thank you for having me. So DC flew to Lake Erie. Are they staying in Buffalo? I... Lake, sorry, Lake Ontario. This is this uh, is where my uh, my geography is failing me. I should have known. It's a, yeah, I know. I, I tariffs. The the Great Lakes region. I I'm from Indiana. Indiana is on a Great Lake. It's on the only Great Lake wholly within the United States. That I know the name of that one. Okay. I'm going to go Superior. Michigan. Michigan, bloody hell. All right. Well, there we go then. Nobody knows anything. Hooray. Yeah, we've all failed. Canadians, Englishmen, uh, Americans, we've Uh, we've all failed on a (laughs) a very basic level. Anyway, Duncan, what are you drinking? Uh, I am drinking, uh, it's a, a wheat beer from Side Launch, which is a brewing company from uh, Collingwood, Ontario, which is about sort of two hours northwestish of Toronto. Um, it's delicious. Great. Beer, essentially. So we, we started the, the show out in the last segment talking about uh, a team that just won uh, Stanley Cup after years of, of futility and and the joy that it that that kind of that. win can bring uh Toronto FC last year won everything there was to be to be won uh at the end of a season uh, i i'm curious how how you felt about that cuz i know ter- the reds were were pretty hard uh to watch for a while then they got good and couldn't quite win and very quickly just won everything there was to be won uh yeah it was a, a lot of fun really just to uh, actually you know, see them win everything finally, because there had been a lot of shit. Um, it just feel a bit cheated, really, that uh, they won in December, which is really cold. And so that really precludes drunken fountain swimming and all that sort of thing, <laughs> which is a shame, because there, there were a lot of people, with Josie Altador and Jay Chapman, most obviously, that were clearly drunk enough to to do something foolish like that, that didn't really have the opportunity. But uh, um, yeah, it's it's very nice when historically underachieving teams actually do something delightful. Uh, Toronto FC, I think somewhat infamously this year, has not started the season, at least in league play, as a team that's coming off uh, a trouble. Uh, they, they struggled a bit. Um, but but this weekend they beat Philly two to nothing, a, a very convincing win that that looked, you know, a, a little bit more like what people expected out of the Reds. Are they back? Um, 
more or less. I mean, you know, early in the season when things were going good in the CCL and then, yeah, it was kind of shit in the bed in MLS, but nobody cared. You know, we had the whole sort of jokey Toronto FC club in crisis. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it kind of got to the point where maybe this isn't funny anymore. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think they'll be fine. You know, uh, they're getting a few more players back sort of week by week from injury and everything. And uh, that helps. So I think, you know, we can actually have defenders in central defense now, uh, which helps. And Michael Bradley in midfield, which also helps. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, once once the team's healthy, they're good enough to be winning uh, in most of the games they play. And, you know, they've blown the supporters' shield and they've, you know, there's a very good chance that they're too far behind to even break into the top four in the East because, uh, you know, the current top four seem to be good sides. But, you know, New England, Philadelphia, Orlando, eh, you know, there, there's no one convincing there. Chicago, not either. So, you know, it's going to be easy enough to, to get into the playoffs. And, you know, DC's got a lot of home games coming up. They could uh, you know, potentially sneak in as well. So, you know, when healthy, they're fine. So, follow-up question. Can they stay mm. unhealthy for, like, another day or two? That's all I'm asking. Uh, just another day. <laughs> Keep well, some guys in uh, reserve. Really hold them yeah, for the weekend. And apparently the uh, the, the, the latest uh, update was that there'd be no new players coming back. So, you know, the likes of Justin Morrow and Josie Altador. Uh, will still be injured, and uh, Chris Mavinga as well, I guess. So there's still definitely a lot of good players that aren't there. So, you know, you're, so you're the saying camp. there's a chance. Oh, there's absolutely a chance, yeah. You know, I mean, we're going to have, like, Jason Hernandez in central defense. And, you know, bless him. He's not bad, but, yeah, you know, he's no Mavinga or Drumar. I, I kind of forgot about Drumar. It's been a long time. Um <laughs> So, you know, there is definitely chances to be had, yes. Uh, You mentioned Michael Bradley's been playing as a a central defender versus a central midfielder. What are the knock-on effects uh, of that for for the team? Um, Well, I don't think he he wasn't terrible as a central defender. He he did about as well as you could have expected, really. I think, well, just the game a couple of weeks back uh, against Columbus, where we kind of collapsed from 3-0 down to a 3-3 tie, didn't show him off at his best. Um, but yeah, I think the, the main part of it is that the you know the, the midfield hasn't been as good. I mean, we've had Liam Fraser, he's a homegrown kid, as a defensive midfielder, and you know he's okay, but he's you know, he's, there's definitely something missing there. And then, uh, you know, I, I'm not super keen on Michael Bradley, just to think about his like personality rubs me the wrong way. So I don't like to praise him, but he's clearly very important for, uh, you know, the whole uh, getting the ball from defense up to the, the fancy midfielders and all that sort of thing. And, uh, yeah, so that's, it wasn't so much that he was a bad central defender. It's just, yeah, we, we kind of missed him in midfield. So, Good to have him back, I suppose. <laughs> um, I guess you know, looking at the speaking of midfielders moving out of position the last few weeks, or maybe not few weeks, but the last couple of games at least. Um, Victor Vasquez has been listed as a forward. I don't know if he was out and out playing as a forward, but 
Um, that's been despite uh, Tosant Ricketts being, as far as I know, available. Um, what's what's going on there? Um, well, I think Tosant Ricketts um, and John Hamilton as well both definitely had chances to you know, start games up front and be playing the full games up front, and neither of them did particularly well. Um, I think Ricketts, you know, there's a, a good chance he'll uh, come off the bench, and he's quite good in uh, uh, doing that. But yeah, it, it just has not worked at all for him uh, this year as a starter, and uh, you know the, the team as a whole doesn't look great with him there. He doesn't really bring a whole lot um, without. I mean, the main thing he has is speed, which is more of a factor off the bench than it is when he's starting. And then his finishing hasn't been good this year as well either. So, um, yeah, I think we're, we're, we've missed Josie Altador more than we would have expected. And uh, it, it probably is going to be Javinko and Vasquez kind of both playing in a sort of like false nine slash number 10. Well, they're kind of technically forwards, but more or less midfielders. And uh, yeah, it's, there's not going to be any real proper forward up there, really, which you know can cause a lot of confusion and cause problems. And you know, as long as the other midfielders can get forward and do their bit, then yeah, this is working. Uh, you mentioned Jay Chapman earlier for his um, excellent uh, celebration abilities, um, mm. and uh, lately he's actually getting a chance to. Um, play soccer not just be a part of the team but he's been a pretty regular part of this lineup um throughout all these injuries and now even with um even with some guys coming back he's still sticking out there uh what's what's going on with his development because it's been kind of it feels like it's been a long time coming for him uh it has yeah i mean he's i can't remember exactly how long he's been with the team now but I mean, it's unfortunate. I think he's he's a very good player. I mean, you could always see there's like little bits of skill here or there, but he never really uh, got a chance to play by a consistent amount of games. Um, I think he did get that a little bit in, in 2016. He maybe got like five or six straight games. And at the end of that run, he was looking like really good. He was if he'd figured out how to fit in the team and that he did actually belong there. And all of a sudden he was looking really good. And then, you know, other players came back from the Gold Cup and all that sort of thing. And then he was just, you know, on the bench and playing occasionally, which lasted all through last season as well. So, yeah, it's good to see him get a few games. Um, I'm very happy as well just to see that they have kept going with him rather than uh, Agara Keche, who, you know, they brought in uh, in the off-season. He's like Basque, uh, who is it up there? What's the name? Uh, Athletic Bilbao. Um, you know, oh, he's like, oh, well, it's a fancy Spanish midfielder. He's going to be good. And yeah, he, he just hasn't really. I mean, maybe he will be. You can see there's some talent there. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to see that Joe Chapman has kept his place and Akechi is relegated to the bench. That's uh, a very positive thing. And yeah, I think uh, if you love like, the game against Philadelphia, I think there was like, a lot of good things that Joe Chapman was doing. You know, there's uh, like through balls he's playing and that sort of thing. He's like, yeah, all right. He he looks like he belongs again. So, uh, you know, it's going to be annoying when the team gets fully fit and he's back on the bench because <laughs> that's what's going to happen. Uh, speaking of um, 
you know, you mentioned Akeche and that that signing was kind of seen as it would be as if it would be a kind of a big deal. It hasn't really panned out. The other big move from going to Europe and getting a player was uh, Gregory Vanderveel, who's been a pretty regular presence for TFC, but not necessarily um, for people that follow uh, soccer in Europe used to seeing him as more of a, a full-time right back. And with TFC, it's been a little different for him. Yeah, I mean, he, uh, mainly because of injuries, he's been kind of all over the place. He's been playing in central defense a lot. And it's kind of weird because the, the, the first few games he was at right back, and he didn't really look all that good. It wasn't like quite working out. You know, again, it's one of those, yeah, you can see there's some quality there, but it doesn't quite seem to be working. Um, you know, he's been much better as a central defender. So, um, yeah, I, mean, I think I feel like he even uh, potentially played as a, a left back uh, in a, say, one or two recent games. Um, yeah, he's he's turned out to be a, a good, a solid defender. Really, um, uh, you know, that's worked out. Um, it should be interesting to see, you know, again, if and when everyone gets fully fit, what they do with him, whether they keep him in central defence or. You know, if we go with like a three-man central defense, or if he does go out to the right, because um, another signing type, Arrow Junior, that this little uh, sort of Brazilian guy, um, he's done quite well at the whole right wing back thing. So, uh, if everyone's fit and healthy, and we only need one right back, it should be very interesting to see which one they choose. But um, I would not be upset if we ended up with say about a three-man centre back thing of Drew Moore, Chris Mavinger and Gregory Vanderveel. That'd be uh that'd be not bad. Uh in following TFC lately, it seems like you know, Greg Vanny has been flexible with his formations, but lately it almost seems like um in part because of the injuries and partially just to cycle through guys, get better looks at what's left available. Um it seems like the formation is kind of a an ever-changing thing from at least from from the outside um what are you expecting to see out of him uh on wednesday uh well yeah i mean it has you know ever-changing thing is definitely right and I mean, a lot of it has to do with just the fact that with you know especially in defense barely had anyone fit so i think the ideal if you know all of his choices are opening to him it would be you know just like a three-man so central defense, two wing backs would be the uh, the preferred option. But uh, I would probably expect that uh, we'll see something like similar to what we saw against uh, Philadelphia, which will be, you know, uh, sort of Jason Hernandez and uh, Nick Haglund. Was he there? Yeah, I think Nick Haglund uh, is back now. So he'll be the two of them in central defense and then a couple of full backs, probably Van der Veel on the left and Arrow on the right. And, you know, that's more or less... Uh, what do they expect to see in defense? And then, you know, technically four midfielders, but with Javinko and Vasquez technically up front and both dropping back uh, into midfield. And, uh, you know, probably Jonathan Osorio will be the, the main goal threat, really, uh, as a like the guy from midfield who gets forward and takes advantage of Vasquez and Javinko pulling everyone out, uh, out of position. And then uh, Osorio sneaks in and scores the goals. Uh, I guess. Oh, go ahead, Adam. Sorry, Adam. No, I, I didn't say anything. Oh, I thought you spoke. <laughs> I'm completely confused. <laughs> yeah, that was just quiet for a while. I thought maybe the caller dropped, but anyway, keep going. Uh, 
overall, uh, it, it seems like there's been a lot of young players cycling in, obviously due to you've got to fill out a roster with all these, the injuries that TFC has had. Um, and you mentioned Liam Frazier before um, Ryan Telfer has played uh, a, a decent mm-hmm. handful of minutes. Um, are any of these younger players looking maybe to follow in the footsteps of Jay Chapman and, and be the next one to break through? Um, well, I'm, I'm sure they're all lo- looking to do that and hoping to do it. Um, I did. I mean, the one that has looked uh, as if he belongs and, oh, yeah, okay, I don't mind seeing this guy you know, on the bench or even in the starting lineup would be like Ryan Telfer, who, um, yeah, I mean, he's not great as a left back, like a left wing back, but as a like left midfielder or winger, he's uh, looked very good, really. He's, you know, very promising. He one of those players out there, and it, it looks like he's always going to make something happen. He doesn't always, but he looks like he's going to, which is uh, sometimes uh, nice to see. And, you know, he's he's got himself a nice goal. He's uh, probably assisted on one or two as well. Uh, the others, mm, yeah, I mean, Liam Fraser doesn't really look like it. Then there are a few defenders that we brought up as well, like when it was seriously bleak and, uh, you know, they looked uh, well out of their depth. So, um, yeah, I think Telf is probably the only one uh, that might be breaking into like, the regular sort of match day 18 uh, out of the, the latest crop of ones that have come up. Duncan, Greg Vanny has uh, obviously had a lot of success coaching TFC, so much so that his name was very predictably thrown around as a, a candidate for uh, the U.S. men's national team to take over that program. Uh, Ernie Stewart was just hired as the general manager for the the U S men's national team, which has led a lot of people to assume that Greg Burhalter, his former teammate is, is at the head of the line. I I'm curious your thoughts on, on Greg Vanny, his, his chances for, for the job and whether, you know, just your thoughts more generally on his fitness for that role. Um, I think it could work. I mean, it's obviously very different to, be doing the sort of day by day managing a club team versus like the, the national team, which is a very occasional uh, thing. But and he obviously has a relationship with you know Bradley and Altador. That's that uh, stuff. And yeah, I mean there, there has been you know, uh, you know just in the like three and a half years now. I think he's been going. There's clearly been a development where you see okay things are better and. You know, yes, a lot of TFC success is because they've spent a lot of money on their designated players. But you know, I think Greg Vanny definitely has had a part in it as well. It would be sort of churlish to uh, not acknowledge that he's uh, definitely uh, had a part of that. I mean, you look at the uh, the CCL games as well that we had this year. I think you know, there are a lot of them, especially the games against like T Grace in America, where yeah, you know, you guys are clearly the better team, but essentially. You got out coached to uh, those wins. There's a lot that uh, he can take credit for, really. And, um, you know, everyone who uh, is around him, or like the media, or that sort of thing, seem to be very, very impressed with him as a person who seems to be, you know, interested in helping, you know, people just develop as, as people as much as as players. So, um, say that's you know, maybe something that's more useful as a club manager, whereas 
you know, a national team manager, you don't have them enough to really have an impact. But uh, you know, it might be a bit early to be giving him a, a national team job, but I don't think he'd be terribly out of place there. He, it could work. Turning back to uh, Wednesday's game, if you were standing in the technical area opposite Greg Vanny, what would you focus on to game plan for Toronto FC? Uh, well, I think as far as Stone goes, I think the defensively we are still like a bit weak. I mean, as I mentioned, you know, Jason Hernandez is going to be there, and yeah, he's he's getting on a bit. He's it's not ideal. So you know, uh, you know sort of Darren Maddox. Uh, as much as I have like zero faith in Darren Maddox as a, a good quality MLS player, like at all. Um, he does have a bit of history of doing well against uh, sort of Toronto, so you know he's uh, um, you know it wouldn't be the worst thing to be you know trying to take advantage of his uh, sort of pace or you know his ability, his jumping ability. He's you know he's a veritable Matthew McConaughey in Red of Fire. Um, <laughs> you know th- there's a good chance. I don't think Nick Haglund's good in the air, but uh, I think there's a good chance that uh, you know if you get uh, Maddox in the, the right sort of position, whether it's like you know, getting crosses for him, for him to attack or you know, longer balls for him to be kind of running on to. Uh, you know, there's, there's definitely weakness in the defence, for sure. Uh, and then, yeah, as far as trying to defend against TFC, it's... Uh, yeah, you know, you've, you've got to hope that you've got sort of smart, mobile defenders, because you know, it's not going to be a you know, a whole bunch of balls being thrown into the box. It is going to be, you know, Vasquez Javinko kind of wandering all over the pitch and trying to like fancy little passes. And then, you know, there's Osorio or Chapman or whoever it might be uh, kind of coming from further behind as the goal scoring threat. So, you know, uh, hopefully you have defenders who can handle that sort of smart rather than physical kind of forwards. Who knows? Well, it's obviously going to be a big challenge for DC United, and we'll see on Wednesday night whether they're up for it. Duncan, thanks for coming on the show. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you online? Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, where you can find me on Twitter at Duncan D. Fletcher, and then sort of regularly on the Vocal Minority podcast at vocalminority.ca. Find us, of course at blackandredunited.com and support us financially at patreon.com slash filibuster. Uh, find us on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast at blackandredu for the website. We all have our personal accounts, which are pretty easily found if you're so inclined. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. I'm told that giving us ratings and reviews on iTunes and Stitcher and all the other places where podcasts can be found are also helpful. So you know, if you like the show, please do that. Um, I think we're probably niche enough that it's not going to make a huge difference. We're not going to be at the top of the iTunes charts anytime soon. Um, Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Prove me wrong. Internet. Accept my (laughs) challenge. Uh, one of the biggest things you can do for us, of course, is tell a friend about the show. That's the best way to spread the word. Uh, that's it for us. We will talk at you again next week uh, for for Jason and the 
Uh, hopefully back next week, Ben, and thanking Duncan one more time. I'm Adam. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason.